Good morning. morning. It's good to see you all. It's great to be here in this place, I think. I usually sit out there. And uh, so I'm going to do my best. Thank you for bringing this over. I'm a paper guy. So, you know, I'm not ready to preach off a computer yet. Um, But uh, thank you for letting, giving me this opportunity. My wife Donna and I are here this morning, and we appreciate very much. We, We love this place. We think this is one of the greatest churches in America. And I can say that because, for yes, I do. I say that because um, you may, some of you know this, but my wife and I have lived in a motorhome for the last six and a half years. We are six and a half years into a two-year commitment to tour America. And uh, we've just been having an awesome time. We visited churches all over America, and we come in as a visitor, which I wish I could have done that before I ever pastored because it really, really has been interesting to do that. And um, we brag about you guys a lot. We brag about this, this relatively small church in, the, in terms of the megachurch t- season that we're in and the accomplishments that you have, a school, Compassion New England, all the things that take place. We, we think you're an awesome church, and we, we love Pastor Phil and Sherry and uh, the whole family, and, and so we're really pleased to be here. And the um, way Pastor Phil and I met was uh, through a small group. And this morning, Pastor Dick Germain and his wife Jay's here, and he's a part of our small group. In fact, he's the one that got us to come to a small group about 10 years ago. And so we've been enjoying that, and so we're glad you guys are here this morning. Thank you for coming. I hope that you make it worth your while here in a few minutes. But uh, thank you so much. And so I've, I'll tell you, I've been coming for the past few weeks, and um, it's, been, it's been really some interesting preaching. I want to tell you, the preaching that you have from Pastor Phil here is not typical. And, and I don't mean that to be flattering or to be, because Pastor Phil tries to take and find out how the gospel and culture intersect. And that is not what I hear when we travel all the country, from the biggest churches to the smallest churches, Seldom do we find a place that has that type of serious gospel being preached. And, and, and I think that makes the difference. And I think you're very blessed to have that type of preaching. And so I wanted to continue in some of his thinking that I've heard for the past few weeks. And um, I should warn you that I don't preach much anymore. In fact, I often refuse opportunities to preach. I spend a lot more time writing these days, writing for my for living on the edge and um, writing papers, and so my thoughts get pretty compelling and 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 profound. And so I got about twenty pounds of materials, and I suspect you only bought ten pound bags. And so you know, so kind of kind of hang in with me, and uh, I'm going to give you a lot of big ideas, and they're going to come fast. And so you're going to have to go away. I suspect that you might want to think about this one a little bit after. If you don't, then I failed. Okay. So one of the things that that Phil's been talking about is a term called expressive individualism. Expressive individualism. Expressive individualism was a term that first was created by a philosopher, Canadian philosophy, Catholic guy, who writes really profoundly, and his name is Charles Taylor. And Taylor didn't give it a lot of definition. He just talked about this was an emerging thing that was happening in the culture. And it had been emerging for a while, but he kind of identified it. And then Robert Bella, who, who is an American sociologist, 
who was um, trained at Harvard, Harvard PhD, but spent most of his career at um, UC Berkeley. And um, he, um, he, he was a, a also a, a, in, in the faith and had some, and wrote a lot about the faith in terms of a sociological perspective of what was happening. And he picked up the term expressive individualism and gave it some definition. He said, expressive individualism holds that each person has a unique core of feeling and intuition that should unfold or be expressed if individuality is to be realized. Now, he actually defined three types of individualism, but this is the one that we've been focusing on because this is the one that people think, and this is what drove the title of this message, which is, Are Heartfelt Decisions Reliable? Because when I read the term, go back to my slide, when I read the term, um, that the feeling and intuition, that's what we associate with the term heart. That's what we associate with that. And we all have a need for individuality. But as a culture, we've become obsessed with individuality. We're obsessed with knowing what each other feels. We all get our feelings hurt so easily. Put me at the top of the list. We get our feelings hurt. We're, we're, we're signing on. We're always going like, oh, how do you feel about this? What do you feel we should do? Oh, I'm so glad you did that if it makes you happy. Oh, isn't this wonderful? And we express our feelings in ways that are unprecedented. And we, we, we want our feelings and our intuition to be honored. We want it to be held high. And you may not even recognize it, but you are all expressive individualists. I'm an expressive individualist because it's the water we swim in. It's the culture. It's what's taking place around us. Everybody's talking about how we feel, how things are taking place. Whatever works for you, as long as it makes you happy. All of these phrases. We, may, we even talk about it in the church. It's emerged still hundreds of years. But we talk about you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Just you and Jesus all alone. How unusual it would it be, your community, you have values, you have biblical values, if you said, come and join our community as we relate to Jesus and be a part of our relationship to Jesus. We wouldn't know what to do with that. That phrase, that terminology doesn't fit. What fits is a personal relationship, a one-on-one. -on -one. Now, individualism is incredibly important. And you can read, if you want, there's a book by, by um, uh, Carl Truman that really talks about how we've come to this place. And he's taken expressive individualism further, and it's called Strange New World. And if, if you um, want to read, he wrote two books. The first one is like really reading, I mean, it's like reading oatmeal. And, and the second one is like reading soup. It's a lot softer, but it's not easy. But if you want to read about how we got here to where expressive individualism is the place, Strange New World is a great place by Carl Truman. Well, let me ask you, are we really individuals? Well, the answer is no. No, we're not. As much as we want to pretend we're individuals, we are not. We're with, we live within communities. We live within a set of values of other people. And in our effort to de define our individuality, we find a community that agrees with us. 
or one that we like their values and we want to become like. My mother, when I was a kid growing up, oh, I hated it when she said this to me. Oh, boy, did I hate it. Her and I would, whew. But she'd look at me sometime and say, when I was going out with the wrong guys, she'd look at me and say, show me your friends and I'll tell you who you are. Whew. Oh, that was the grounds for a fight. <laughs> yes, yes, I fought with my mother. I, I know no one else in this room ever did. But I did. And so, so we, we get defined by that. When I was a young man in the Army, and uh, we were, I was growing up, there was a, a, a friend I met in my training process. His name was Steve Walensky. Ski, we used to call him. And he and I got to be pretty close. And he's kind of that guy that helped me transition from being a teenager to being a young man. You know, we kind of navigated those waters together. And I'll never forget, this is, this is an old story, but I'll never forget this story because one Sunday afternoon, he and I going out and hanging out around some old helicopters and just sitting inside, and we're telling stories, and we're smoking, and we're being super cool, you know? And uh, we're just being so cool. And he says to me, do you know why I smoke Lucky Strikes? Haven't you ever heard of Lucky Strikes? <laughs> it was an unfiltered cigarette. He says, you know why I smoke Lucky Strikes? I said, no, Ski, why do you smoke Lucky Strikes? He says, Johnny Doan. I says, Johnny Doan? Who's Johnny Doan? He says, Johnny Doan was a kid in high school. He says, we used to go into the, the, the uh, lavatory and smoke, you know, because back then everybody smoked in the lavatory during high school, you know. He said, we used to go to the lavatory, and Johnny Doan smoked Luckies. And so I'd wait with the hopes that he'd say, anybody got a cigarette? And I'd go, here, have one of mine. He'd go, oh, you smoke a man's cigarette. Yeah, that's what we want to hear. And so, so you see, he, we want to be defined by others in our individuality. We want to be a man. Recently, Bill Maher, Bill Maher, the great social commentator, made this incredible statement. He said, if this spike in trans children is all biological, why is it regional? Either Ohio is shaming them or California is creating them. Whoa, you're not supposed to say that, Bill. That's grounds. And he got, it was all over the internet. Everybody wanted to cancel him. Because what was he talking about? He was talking about values. He had it right. It's not an either, though. It's a both is true. That was the only thing that was wrong with the sentence. It should have said, if, if this spike in trans children is biological, Ohio is shaming them and California is creating them. Because there's no either. Because, look, in my journey here, Don and I have had the opportunity to live on the, on the Ohio-Indiana border for probably four, four months over the past six years for different reasons. And we've got to know the people in those farming communities. And that Ohio area, that, that, that breadbasket part of Ohio, is, they're, they, they, they're not going to buy into that. They're just not going to buy into this transgender thing. So people tend not to be. You go to San Francisco and L.A., where we've also been, and you probably, a lot, many of you probably visited there. Oh, yeah, we've got we to gotta express our feelings better. We've got to be expressive. And so he was right. Now, feelings and communities represent values. They represent values. And in a church, our values are based on the kingdom of God. 
Now, that doesn't mean we all agree with the exact same values. That's why there's different communities, because we're still working that out. We'll probably work that out. Dick called his ministry, John 17, 23, that we all might become one, because that's what Jesus promised. He always says it's going to happen. But right now, we still have different expressions. We're, what happens here is different than what happens at the Mennonite church down the road. What happens at Bethlehem Bible, it's different. It's the same, but it's different, because we have a different set of values. Now, why do we, what, what do we look for in those values? We look, we arrive at, why are we Christians? Because we believe that Jesus could give us a flourishing life. If we follow his ways, then our life would be, be, would be great. If we believe, if we say we're a Christian, we should be wanting to follow Jesus' ways because we believe they're going to create a flourishing life, a better life for us. It's not just so we can go to heaven and get the thing checked. It's so that we can live better. We can have a better life. We can have it all, if you would. In fact, this, but this is in conflict with individualism. And we don't know how to settle our community values with expressive individualism. There's a, a writer by the name of Bill Bishop. Back in 2008, he wrote a book. He was a reporter, but he recently was interviewed, and he said this, the most important cultural capital that you can have these days is to be singular. So the most outrageous, the most indignant, the most this or that, they become our leaders. Wow. Wow. So if individual is important, and it is, it's godly. We'll show you that this morning. And my place in community is important and godly. My question became, what makes for godly individualism? What makes for godly individualism? And I began looking for principles. Now, there's a difference between a principle and a law. A law has a, has a um, sets a juxtaposition says, if you do this, you're wrong. If you do this, you're right. A principle is a guide. It says, here's something to evaluate forward, going forward. So I began to set principles and look for principles that are characteristics of, of, of biblical individuals. Now, I have, I have a story before I go a little further here. <clears throat> there were these two friends. They'd been fishing forever. They'd, they'd, they'd gone fishing, fishing, fishing. They were retired, and they were good. They always caught fish. And so this young guy said to him, would you please take me fishing? I want to learn to fish. I really do. Oh, you know, you don't really want to learn. Oh, no, no, please take me fishing. So sure enough, they take him fishing. They're sitting in the boat. Three of them are fishing. All of a sudden, one of them hollers out, 126. The other guy starts to laugh like crazy. 126. What's what? They sit there for a while longer. Another guy hollers out, 280. Ah, 280. That's all. <laughs> Well, finally, this goes on for three or four or five times, and finally the young guy looks and says, what's this about? He says, well, years ago we found this joke book we really liked, and so we decided rather than tell the same jokes over and over again, we'd just memorize the, uh, the jokes and then just tell each other the number to remind them, and off we'd go. And so we just tell the number now of the joke. Okay, you got it? <laughs> you all know the scriptures. You all have basic understanding of a lot of the stories. So I'm not going to bother taking you through stories in detail. I'm just going to tell you. I'm going to tell you about some stories this morning. And I'm going to give you, help you see individual values. Godly individuals. Godly individuals 
The first principle is this. They know their values and defend against attacks. Attend, defend against attacks. They know their values and defend against attacks. And one of the best illustrations of this is David and Goliath. Now, you all know that story. See what I mean? I don't have to take you all through it. You know the story. That story is 58 verses long. Now, if the writers of the Scriptures and God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, felt like this story needs to be told in detail, we need to pay attention to it a little bit more than just a story tale, a story time tale. We know the Lord was with David, so our attention goes to David, but he's a young boy in the story. Let me tell you a little bit more background about what's unusual here, and i got to move quickly. Say he's with me. Ooh, I'm in trouble already. Um, David was, the, the Philistines were, were on the coastal property, and they were moving in, and their goal was to overtake the promised land. That's what they were trying to do. In Israel, the promised land was given to them by God, and they had God's value and believed their God was the God. And so the Philistines were trying to defeat them. And what happened was, that at the, at the uh, valley of, of, of um, Elah, they, they, they end up, and it's a valley, and there's two ridges. And the Philistines end up on one ridge, and, and the Israelites end up on the other ridge. Now the problem with that is, no matter how great your army is, as soon as you run down the hill to make an attack, you've given up the high ground. And there's nothing worse in a battle than to give up the high ground. Go to Gettysburg, look at Pickett's Charge. It's a high ground issue between Cemetery Ridge and Seminary Ridge. Go to Vicksburg, look at why the city was captured. Even though the Union lost 9,000 troops, they didn't have the high ground, but they, lost, they, lost the, they won the battle by starving the people, not by beating them. High ground is incredibly important in this type of warfare. So they, they would come out, they would stand there and look at one another, waiting for the other to attack, because if the other attacked, they'd have it. But there's another type of warfare. What David and Goliath are going to do is a type of warfare called single combatant. And it is throughout history. You can read different accounts of single combatant battles. In fact, Elon Musk understood single combatant when we were going into Ukraine, and he, he tweeted out, I'll meet Vladimir Vladimir Putin anywhere, winner take all. He was calling for a single combatant battle. Single combatant battles, so Goliath would come walking out, and he would call out Israel and say, come and take on me. Well, Goliath was a close combat warrior. He had about 100 pounds of armor on, he had big things, and he was really big. And that's because he had a, scientists and, and scholars today universally agree, he probably had a disease called Acromegaly. Acromegaly is, is a, a, a cyst gets on your pituitary gland and you grow. But as you grow, one of the problems is you don't stop growing, but it puts pressure on your optic nerves and you, become, you lose your eyesight. And there's a lot of stuff in there that says he was partially blind. So he's out there, but the tradition is you send out another combatant warrior to take on a combatant warrior. Well, anybody looking at a nine-foot giant is not ready to go out and do that. There was another type of warrior called a slinger. And slingers were all through Israel. And slingers, which David was, but he did it out 
protecting the sheep. You know, if you have a weapon, you can use it to defeat animals. You can use it to defeat people. And so a slinger could take it and whip it around six or seven times, throw this, throw this stone, and it's estimated that the stone leaves the sling at the same velocity as a 45 caliber pistol. Okay? Now, with that in the air and the accuracy, there's places where you'll find in ancient writings where slingers could take birds out of flight. Slingers could, um, could go as far as the eye could see with accuracy. There's, there's even in the, in, in the I think it's uh, Judges, it talks about the slinger was accurate within the hair's breadth of the target. So David, it isn't that he was unusual in being a great slinger. There were slingers all over. What was unusual is he saw how to use it against his enemy in a way that was non-traditional. Oftentimes, God, when God inspires an individual, is to do something in a non-traditional way. Now David comes in and he sees the whole thing being upset. He sees the, the, the problem going, Israel's getting defeated, which means what? God's getting defeated. He sees Israel afraid to go forward, which means what? The Lord is afraid to go forward. He sees the Philistines ready to attack, and that attack looks like it's going to carry without even a battle. And he says, no, no, no. And then he finds out King Saul's so nervous about it that he's even offering rewards. I don't think he's interested in the reward, but he's like, wait a minute, there's another way here. So what he does, of course, is he goes out as an individual, not an expressive individual. He's protecting the values of God. He's protecting his community. He's protecting that with his sling, and he sees the way he throws the sling, and of course kills Goliath. Then he comes over and slashes off his head, which is, which is common in single combatant war. Now, what's the individual message? Do the values of community of Bethany community ever get attacked? Do you see it as an attack on God? Or do you just see it as your way? Oh, gee, that's terrible they're saying that. I'm not that because I'm an expressive individualist. See, when communities, when what the Bible teaches is when and you'll find this principle throughout, is that when the individual rises up, God-inspired, it's to protect the values of God and the name of God, not to protect themselves. David was not protecting himself. David wasn't looking to be a rock star. David wasn't looking to be an individual. He was looking to help and preserve his community in the name of the Lord. In fact, he even says at one point, the battle is the Lord's. Do you understand? It's the Lord's battle. Now, you have to know your values when you do that. Mother's Day this year, Donna and I were at Top Rail Cowboy Church. Everybody in the place, all the men had one of these on. Now, as soon as I put this on, you think, he ain't as smart as he looks. <laughs> and when I walk in without one there, they think, who's this? And the pastor's preaching. And David knew what he could do. You've got to know what you can do. You've got to know your gifts and how to use them. 
the pastor's preaching. He's starting out. He's talking Mother's Day, and he's going to talk about Moses' mother. And he reads the verse and says, Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. So my Bible says, it takes a man and a woman to make a baby. Now I'm just a poor cow, a cowboy. I'm just a country boy. I don't know. But when I grew up, it took a bull and a cow to make a calf. It took a rooster and a hen to make a chick. I don't know what's going on. I'm just saying. It takes a man and a woman to make a baby. Well, the whole church just sat there going. <laughs> well, the whole church just sat there going, mm-hmm. You know why? It wasn't the first time they'd heard it. They knew their values. He's just reaffirming them. They knew what the values of their community was. No one walked out. <laughs> community values flow to individual values. That's how it works. David knew his values. He knew the values of his communities. They were kingdom values and defended them using, the t using his talents. That's a lifetime of work. That's not a new idea for David. Godly individuals, if they know their, they also speak truth in love to others. They also speak truth in love to act others. Now, Jesus, I'm going to use as my next illustration, and we're going to do this as quick as we can. But Jesus, we're going to talk about the woman who was caught in adultery. Did you ever think about this? There's four actors in the story of the woman caught in adultery. The first one is the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, better known as the lawyers. Okay? So I want you to say the first one. I want you, everybody say lawyers. I want you to get lawyers, okay? The second people, the one that's involved in this, is the adulterous woman, the woman caught in adultery. Say adulterous woman. Okay, the other group that's not usually talked about is the onlookers. Remember, Jesus was teaching when they came, so those people he was teaching to, so they were the onlookers. Say onlookers. And the fourth character in the story is Jesus himself. Say Jesus. So you got the lawyers, you got the adulterous woman, you got the onlookers, and you got Jesus. Now, what did each person represent? The lawyers knew the law. And they represented both the fact, and they were on, so, so they understood that they had the rights to do this. They were in the right place. They could do what was supposed to be done. They had it. In our culture, we have a lot of lawyers who tell us exactly what's supposed to happen. I'm not opposed to law. God's not opposed to law. He gave us 600 of them in the Old Testament. But they can be, they play roles. A friend of mine was attending a church in California, a friend I know from Arizona was attending a church in California with his brother, and he, he didn't know what to do. He was so furious. Listen to what he heard and why he was so furious. Using a passage from Leviticus, the pastor was calling for homosexuals to be killed. What? Well, that's the same thing that's happening here. 
the adulterous woman, let's kill her. The cancel culture does the same thing. It calls for people to be cut off that it disagrees with. There's no difference. Carl Truman wrote, anything that challenges expressive individualism is deemed oppressive. When oppression comes, they cut you off. They say, you can't talk about Jesus here. We cut you off. You can't be homosexual. We kill you. There's 71 countries where it's still illegal to be homosexual. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean it's okay? I don't know. The adulterous woman. There's a lot of people missing in the story. Where's the man she was with? How come he's not there? Isn't he an adulterer? One of them was married. Where's her husband if she was the one that was married? Or where his wife if she was the one? You know, I mean, there's just a lot of players because adultery is complicated. It's not right, but it's complicated. There's a lot of stories that have to go into it. A lot of understanding. Wow. It oftentimes leads to divorce, which is the gift that keeps on giving. It never goes away. Everyone has a story about why they are how they are. But we're called to live the scripture, not to rewrite it. Because it produces a flourishing life. The onlookers. Do you know that you're all onlookers almost every evening? You know how? As soon as you turn on your TV. As soon as you turn on the news, you're deciding who's right and who's wrong. And it's always set up as a binary. This or that. This or that. This or that. Which one? And we call it now public opinion. Because you've decided who's right and who's wrong. And then there's Jesus. I'm going to help you with something here huge in your your reading of Scripture. Every time there's a story with Jesus in it, the question isn't who's right or wrong. The question is, what did Jesus do? And how can I become like him? How can I become like him? That's the critical question. Jesus writes on the ground, And he asks, can I have that scripture? Who who did this? Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. I want you to think for a minute of the absolute brilliance of that sentence. Just think for a moment of the brilliance of that sentence. Go and leave your life of sin. How did he know to say that? Well, this wasn't the first time he thought about it. I'm assured of that. This was the, he thought deeply about the value of life and said, no, you don't kill people for these, some of these things. That's not what we're going to be about anymore. But we're not going to endorse it either. And so when he says, go and leave your life of sin, this is a brilliant third alternative to a binary situation. 
a brilliant third alternative to a binary situation. And you and I need to learn how to do that better. Because so often, as onlookers, we're caught in the binary. And we see the giants like Goliath. We see the binary, and we're stuck. And we don't know what to do. And as a result, we're silent. And our communities are attacked, and our values are attacked. Not an endorsement. Here's one of the great questions I have. What did she do the next day? Did she think she stopped sitting? Don't know. Don't know. Like to think she did. But we know this. She had truth. And that's what we're called to sow. We don't know what she did. I was a part of a national study. I was actually writing some of this study in my work. We asked the Christian community, what word most associates with the word love? You know what the answer was? Tolerance. No, it isn't. I was horrified when I read that. Tolerance is not love. Speaking the truth in love is love. It's patient, it's kind, it's not envious, not boastful, but it is not tolerant. It has a position, and it speaks the truth. Marislav Both was tortured for his faith. He's also a scholar at Yale Divinity. He runs a center called Faith and Culture. And he talks about the importance of knowing your values. And he says this, whoever wants the Christian communities to exist must want their difference from the surrounding culture, not their blending into it. Without boundaries, communities dissolve. What's happening to the church? We don't define our boundaries, we're dissolving. If Bethany Community Church doesn't define their boundaries well, they'll dissolve. So what's going on? What's making all this happen? Almost over. You with me? You okay? I can provide you with books like Carl Truman, I can talk to you about Marislav Wolf, I can talk to you about Beulah Taylor, and a host of others. I can talk to them and they'll give you all kinds of history. But there's this other thing in Scripture, demonology. It's real. Throughout the Bible, there's an evil power that's at work in the entire narrative. The force has many names, the serpent, the Satan, the devil, the prince of darkness, the father of lies. Shoot, has a lot of names. But in the Gospels, in the Gospels, their power is generally very confrontational to Jesus. It comes in the form of what we would call, what's called demon possession. And it's outrageous. It's people that are doing wild and crazy things. And, and it's just really difficult. And we've got people that do wild and crazy things today. And, we're, we, we, and, and when we see them, and we, if we saw somebody doing what the, some of the people did, in the, in, that when they were confronting Jesus, we medicate them. Praise God we can do that. I'm not in any way 
But I'm saying, but there was this force and this power that was coming at them. My grandson, Ben, he, he just started working in a thing called the Chattanooga Community Kitchen, which is all working with the tent cities of Chattanooga. And he was telling me one day he, was, he had to deal several times with a woman in front of his place who was out there naked and covered herself in human feces and screaming and yelling. He'd have to go in and try and get her cleaned up and everything else. And, and oh my gosh, it's just terrible. But... Devil doesn't come around to nice places like this, does he? He doesn't come around to good countries that are all educated. No, he doesn't come around to them much. Does that mean because we don't, we can take care of our really troubled people that we should dismiss demons as an influence in our culture? I think not. Expressive individualism have too much fun. C.S. Lewis began writing about this back in the 40s. Carl Truman wrote this. We have that Carl Truman quote. The modern notion of self, which can be called expressive individual, lies at the heart of current cultural conflicts, including abortion, pornography, the morality of gender and sex, the ethics of life and death, radical racial politics, freedom of speech, and freedom of religion. Expressive individual holds that human beings are defined by their individual psychological core and that the purpose of life is allowing that core to find social expression and relationship. Anything that challenges that, that challenges it, is deemed oppressive. This is serious. Look at the values. Do you understand the Bethany community's values? Are they kingdom values? If they are, you need to figure out how to get, start, get yourself aligned to them. It's not an opinion. You can't live life as an onlooker. We need to adopt them as individuals in our communities. Would you watch for opportunities to defend them when they're under attack? Because they're being attacked. Have you given a lot of thought to what it means to think, speak the truth in love? It's serious stuff, folks. Our American culture and church is in terrible shape. And we're not sure how to do it. And I've put a lot of time praying and thinking about what's it mean to be a godly individual. And I'm not good at it. I don't even know how to do what I'm asking you to. I'm not lying. This is hard stuff. But I know this, Jeremiah said, wrote, uh, Prophet Jeremiah said this. Come on, Jeremiah. The expressive, I put the expressive individual, the heart the expressive individual heart is deceitful above all things and beyond, beyond cure. Who can understand it? This is serious. This is serious. So here's what I'd like to do. I don't know if I've made sense to you today or not. I can't tell. I really can't. I feel like, like I'm brown shoes in a black tuxedo world a lot of times. But here's what I'd like to give you an opportunity to do. 
I'm going to ask Pastor Phil to come up. If you say, I, I don't get this, but I think it's important, I'd like to give you an opportunity to come forward and ask your pastor to pray for you. If you feel like, I've tried this and I'm so, I get so beat up, they think I'm a nut, and you don't know what to do with it, I'd like you to come up. If you say, I don't, I don't have, I'm not ready to think about this at all, don't come up. It's fine. That's, that's okay. This is, this is really, really, really hard stuff. But if you know that you'd like to resist your expressive individualism, figure out how to be a godly individual. Stand up like David against an attack. Or if you'd like to work at trying to be able to speak the truth in love as beautifully as Jesus did to the woman who was caught in adultery. Loving her, yet calling it out. I'd like to ask you to come forward here. And just all step up here. And then I'm asking Pastor Phil to lead us in prayer because I need prayer too. And I want the pastor of this congregation to pray for me as much as anything because this is a place we count really dear to our heart and I want to go on this journey with you. But we need help. We need God's help to understand how to stand against this expressive individual, the godly individuals, and value our community and its standards and its values as it pursues, as we pursue the kingdom of God together. Would you just take and rise up in your chair? Just come down front here. We'll ask Pastor Bill to pray for us. If you want, want prayer this morning around this topic, come on down. I can sense the uh, passion in, the, in all of you as you stand here today. This is a, a really important moment in the life of, in your life personally, as well as the community. To say, I want to, I think what we're saying, Pastor Dennis. How do we follow Christ in the current culture, cultural uh, zeitgeist, spirit, however you want to say it, the age that we're living right now? We want to do it well. We don't want to do it like angry, con condemning people, but we can't, we can't stone the woman in adultery. N neither can we say, ah, Go live in adultery. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, right now, I, I know as we come to this moment, I'm reminded of the early church and how they stood at a crossroads as they had, they had pulled away from the Judaism that was, was the Judaism that would stone the woman in adultery. And they were caught between that and the Roman government that had their list of gods, their list of mythical gods, and Caesar himself was a god that they were required, in some cases, to worship. And yet, what you did for that early church was, you didn't, and I know that Dan and I like to read books, and, but you didn't give them a book to read, except the Bible, the Scripture, but you gave them the Holy Spirit. You gave them the day of Pentecost. And God, as I stand here today, I feel like that's what the church needs again. We need a, a Pentecostal move of, in, in the purest sense of what they had in Acts chapter 2. We need a revisitation of the Holy Spirit. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That's what you said in Scripture. We're not led by our, our individualism. We're not led by our feelings. We're not led by, merely by our heart's desires. 
We must be led by the Holy Spirit. And I believe that's the commitment that everybody's standing in front of me today. And as I want to make, as I stand here today, is to be led by the Holy Spirit. To once again, once again, have the Holy Spirit install Jesus as Lord of my heart. Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Father, we bow to Jesus today. We pray, God, do something. Do a work in our day, in our midst. We're in unique times. God, I believe you're going to do a unique thing in the church of Jesus Christ. You're going to do a new thing, new thing in our hearts. And we are going to reach those who are far from you. We're going to reach those who are in darkness. Oh, God, in Jesus' name.